Hello and welcome back to the Treatment Room Podcast with your host, licensed esthetician Tessa Zolli. So I'm really passionate about today's topic and you are in for a little solo episode. So get used to the sound of my voice and my voice only. We are talking all about bedside manners today. This to me is the key to your business thriving. We talk so much about trainings and certificates or brands and retail we offer or you know that fancy equipment you just brought into your spa. And all those things are super important. They enhance your business. But those are all things that you know other estheticians can provide too. What really sets you apart is your bedside manners because this really refers to your standard of care and how you communicate with your clients and how you make them feel. How you make your clients feel is probably the most important thing about your business alongside with results. But there are a lot of amazing providers who can provide great results. Not all of them have great bedside manners. So it's something I really want to talk more about and bring more attention to. So let's get into it. When we're talking about bedside manners, we're talking about a few things. I made up a little list and I'm going to share what I think really goes into having good bedside manners. And then at the end of the episode, I want to share some experiences I have had recently as a client going to other businesses. And this is why I really encourage anyone who owns a small business or anyone who is in the service industry providing a service. I encourage you to go to other businesses and really take notice of how you are talked to, how you are communicated with, and the general feeling you have when you leave the business. That feeling is so important because when people leave your business, they either leave feeling kind of good, bad, or mediocre. And if they're feeling mediocre, kind of means it wasn't a great experience. We want everyone who leaves our business or, you know, maybe the relationship ends working with us because maybe you've solved the problem. You want to ensure you have done your very best to provide good bedside manners, good communication, good quality of care, and a good feeling to all of your customers. Because when people have a good feeling, that is when they share with their loved ones and their friends. And we want to make the most of that. We want to really limit the amount of people who didn't have a great experience, didn't feel so good. I get the question all the time, how do you grow a business? It really has a lot to do with bedside manners because this is the feeling that motivates people to share or not share about your business. And those referrals, that word of mouth, it gets around and it's so important to you growing as a business. So let's start out with some of the keys in my mind that really make for good bedside manners. 
Let's start with what I think is probably the single most important aspect of having good bedside manners, and that is taking the time to listen to your client without interruption. Sounds so incredibly basic, but here's where I think it comes into play. I think a lot of us are used to running the show, being the expert, being the boss, and with that comes a desire to educate, to talk, to possibly correct certain things somebody might be sharing or chime in with our two cents. I noticed this a lot and I've really had to hone this skill because my entire business is virtual consultations, communication, appointments, and listening to other people. I've really had to check myself because I love to share. I tend to think I know best. I mean, we do as the professional. But you don't want somebody to leave a virtual consultation or an appointment just feeling like they got talked at or they didn't get to share. This is really their consultation. It's their time to share what's been on their mind. And part of them leaving feeling they had a good experience is feeling heard. And I think this applies to our everyday life too. I think most of us like to talk more than we like to listen. I really want to just get you thinking about this. And the next time you're having a conversation with somebody, it doesn't have to be a client. Notice, am I thinking about what I'm going to say next? And I think because I do a lot of interviews, I've had to get better at this as well. Because when I'm doing a podcast, for example, I don't want there to be dead airtime. I want to make sure the conversations are interesting. But If I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next, I don't get to really fully hear the guest. And that's what the episode is really for. It's to hear the guest. In a consultation, it's really to hear your client. And you want to provide advice. You want to share your expertise, but it's a really fine line. So you want to practice nonverbal active listening You want to listen completely and intently. You want to show genuine interest. And a great way to do this is to use nonverbal cues such as your body language. I like to write things my client is saying down. I think that shows interest and even telling them, you know, when I start the appointment, If you see me looking away, please know I'm taking notes on what you're saying. I don't want you to think I'm disinterested or not paying attention. I try to have an open body language when they speak to me. And if a client shares something such as, oh, I was, you know, taking this prescription, I was on this birth control, I was using this skincare line, I want to write it down. And I want to ask follow-up questions. I want to wait until they are finished speaking. And then I'll even take a pause. And I think that one or two second pause is really powerful and shows the client you are listening. And then you ask your question. 
Okay, the second component of good bedside manners is really seeing the best in your client and showing understanding. So I think this can get tricky because there are times we definitely need to set boundaries with our clients. We don't want them to feel like, you know, they are running the show or that they can disrespect our policies. But I'm talking more in the context of, let's use the example of a client comes to me and shares they haven't been great with their sunscreen or they haven't been using their actives in their routine or they have been a little bit off with their diet, something like that. Okay, what you don't want to do is put your own biases on them. So I would never want to, when a client shares something a little bit vulnerable like that and they're coming to me being forthright and honest, I would never want to make them feel as though they should just do better, they're not trying enough. You really have to meet people where they are. And again, you always want to show that you believe your client is doing their best. And you can even say that. And with coaching people, it is, again, such a fine line because you are there to provide accountability. You want to encourage them, but you don't want to make anyone feel discouraged. And if you say something that like, oh, well, you, you should be better with your sunscreen. There's no reason you shouldn't be wearing your sunscreen. We got you a sunscreen. I told you you're supposed to use it every two hours. You know, just do better. <laughs> that would be like the worst example of poor bedside manners. You could even ask, oh, okay, is there any reason you could think of that's been kind of holding you back from using your sunscreen? Are you still liking the formula? Do you know how to use it? Something along those lines that'll just get the conversation going. And then the client can reflect, yeah, you know, the sunscreen is actually too heavy for me and it, it leaves a white cast, so I don't enjoy using it. Oh, okay. That's great to know. It looks like you're using this sunscreen. You know, I see what you mean that could feel a little bit more on the heavy side. Let's see how we can fix this and find you a solution that works for you because I want you to look forward to using your sunscreen. Or, oh, okay, you haven't been using your active ingredient. Tell me more about that. Has there been any obstacle that's been in the way of you using it? Yeah, you know, I, I realize I can use it once, but it's so strong on my skin. I notice after using it for a couple days, I get a lot of stinging. My skin gets super flaky and dry, and then I just feel demotivated to use it because my face is stinging. That makes so much sense. You know, I think this would be a really good opportunity for us to boost the hydration in your routine. I want you to have at least one hydrating serum 
and perhaps if you're up for it, a hydrating face mask. That way we can really counterbalance the effects of your acne treatment products, which I agree with you, they can be a bit drying. So it's really important to have those water levels really high so the active ingredients aren't too stimulating on your skin. When your skin is healthy, when it's hydrated, it will actually respond better to the acne treatments and you won't feel so much of that dry sensation. Oh, that sounds great. I would be super interested in that. What hydrating serum and mask do you recommend? It's a win-win. So again, seeing the best in your client, it doesn't mean not setting boundaries when you need to. If a client is frequently late, it doesn't mean you just think, oh, Susie is the best. She's excused. No, you're taking note of every time Susie was late, but in general, coaching people, you really want to allow them to bring out the best version of themselves. And that starts with, again, meeting people where they're at, making sure their goals feel reasonable for them, and really encouraging them and letting them know setbacks are normal. They happen to all of us and that you are in this together and that them having a few mistakes or little setbacks does not make them a failure in any sense of the way. The third component of bedside manners is your attitude toward the client, your approach. So we want to be friendly and kind, obviously, and we want to offer support where appropriate. This doesn't mean we are going to be our client's bestie. It doesn't mean you both need to share the most personal stuff ever about each other, but it's just having a generally kind, caring, compassionate demeanor. I know everyone has had that experience with another professional where they felt like, you know, maybe they were very qualified, but you just didn't connect. You didn't feel like they really cared to get to know you much. It kind of just felt like you were just another number. So we really want to keep in mind that somebody is taking time out of their day to have an appointment with us. They might have driven there. They might have had to put other responsibilities on the back burner to be there. And you never know what kind of day somebody has had. So we always want our place of business to be that bright spot in their day or in their life. If you can do that, that is really what encourages people to share more about your business. The fourth component is your professionalism. So this might mean how meticulous you are with your treatments or your treatment plans, your quality of training, your technique, your tools, your resources. These all play a part in our clients' overall opinion of us. I'm thinking of my dermatologist, for example. She has the best bedside manner, not only because she's super lovely, very kind, 
always listens. You can tell she really cares about about me and about her patients in general. She really marries that so well with her skill set. And she has a very humble way of highlighting her strengths without over bragging. Like somehow I know that she does the most Botox and filler in the country and it's never come across bragging. When she shares these kind of things, it's kind of like we as the office overall, we did this, we met this accomplishment or, you know, I see these amazing reviews on her page. I see the words that other clients share about her. I see her results. I see her (laughs) dozens of degrees on the wall. These all play a role in her professionalism. And of course, me always loving the overall outcome of any appointments we have together. Last but not least, strong communication. And I want to share an example from St. George University. They said, a professional's ability to communicate with a patient can make or break their bedside manner. It helps them build rapport with patients. And more importantly, it creates trust. The ability to communicate is probably the most important skill a physician or esthetician can possess. The ability to convey genuine concern about and interest in a patient is an integral and inseparable part of the medical communications process. Good bedside manner can make or break a patient interaction. This is so true. Either encouraging an honest discussion or putting off the patient. And man, have I had this experience. I'm going to share more in a little bit. They also say when meeting a patient for the first time, know their name and make sure you know how to pronounce it correctly. If you are unsure of the pronunciation, ask the patient. And when in doubt, be a little bit overly courteous. When meeting a patient for the first time, know their name and make sure you know how to pronounce it correctly. If you are unsure of the pronunciation, always ask the patient. And when in doubt, be a little bit overly courteous. I think this is so true. Formality in patient or client interactions is a way to show respect. And I know... A lot of us SDs are on the younger side. We might be seeing clients that are the same age or younger. And a lot of us millennials or Gen Z, we are just more (laughs) casual in our communications. But I want to encourage you to err on the side of professionalism. I will never forget one of my first bosses correcting me when I was speaking to a client with kind of a pet name. And I think this is one of the the easiest things you can do to give away your lack of professionalism, lack of experience. And yeah, we don't want to do that. So saying things like, hey girl, hey gorgeous, hey babe. <laughs> I know it sounds bad, but I hear it a lot and I've had 
other professionals that I've gone to see, you know, say something like, hey, girl, you're just going to get on this table. Hey, girl, we're just going to do the treatment. And it just throws me off. And I think I'm a little bit old fashioned in that sense. But generally, I would say you're probably not going to offend anyone by calling them by their name. But you might kind of put somebody off by calling them a pet name. And everybody's a little bit different with pet names or nicknames. I know I just don't love when anybody says, hey, girl, it makes me feel like I'm about to, you know, get hit with some kind of MLM pitch. It just kind of puts me off. And as the client, I want to feel respected. I want to feel special. I want to feel like I'm in the hands of of a professional, not, you know, just a a friend. So I really prefer to be called by my name. And I think everyone likes to be called by their name. If you've read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, this is something they bring up in the book. Everyone loves the sound of their own name. So use it and make sure you know your client's name, which is a whole nother which is a whole nother conversation. And we've all done it, called somebody by the wrong name, but try your very best to start every appointment knowing your client's name. I think that's another thing when you're saying like, yeah, girl, yeah, hun, it it kind of shows that it could be anyone. And you really want the client to feel like you know their name, you know who you're working on, you've looked at their chart, you know some little details about them. So if you can do that, I think it really makes a big difference. Once you start calling your clients pet names, the other thing is they will likely mirror you and it kind of leads to this dynamic where you're no longer the professional. You're kind of on equal playing fields and We just don't want that when we are running a business. We are the authority. It is a clear professional and client relationship. And I know that might sound a little bit harsh because a lot of us think of our clients as our friends and they are our friends as well. But at the end of the day, you want to keep a high standard of respect and professionalism for each other because that actually makes the client feel safer. And although we might be close with our clients, we are in business first together. And you want to maintain that standard of professionalism because things always come up where somebody might have missed an appointment or they start to expect a discount or that you're not going to charge them or you're going to give them special treatment because you're on special terms. Using somebody's first name is a really way to sidestep all of that kind of stuff, which we don't want. Okay, next let's get into some experiences recently. The first two are examples of poor bedside manner and just things that stood out to me that I didn't like and that didn't make me want to return to other businesses. And then the last is a positive example. (sighs) Okay. So the first example, I'm on an Invisalign journey, by the way, I'm almost at the end (laughs) of said journey. 
And yeah, it's been a little bit of a trek, but I recently went into my orthodontist and I have to say they have a great reputation. They're amazing. Like when we're talking about skill set, they're awesome. They know what they're doing, but I've had a few instances in the office where the bedside manner has just been off. So in my recent visit, (laughs) I was asked by the orthodontist, she asked how I was feeling about my result now that the the Invisalign program was kind of coming to a close. And I'll also say this orthodontist means so well. She is very... I can tell she's a kind person. She doesn't have a mean bone in her body, but it was kind of like a lack of awareness in this situation I'm going to get into. So she asked me if I'm happy and I said, yes, for the most part, I'm really happy. There is one thing that's been concerning me a little bit. I actually wanted to ask you about it. So I talk on camera a lot for my job. I'm on Zoom calls. I record videos. I do social media. And I just notice when I speak, my top and my lower teeth are not aligned. And my smile looks a bit crooked. When I notice, when I look at myself talking, it just looks kind of funny because my top and bottom don't match. I'm, I was just wondering, what is up with that? Is there anything we can do about that? So this orthodontist comes up to my face with a pen and she tilts the pen to the side against my nose. And she's squinting at me and she steps back, puts the pen up, steps back. She's looking at me funny. And then she goes, so your nose is crooked. And best believe, I don't think I have the best nose in the world. My nose is a little bit crooked, asymmetrical. If you look at it, you know, from the bottom up, it's way off. And I played sports all my life. I've definitely been hit in the face with baseballs, basketballs, soccer balls, all kinds of things. So yeah, I never thought my nose was perfect, but it wasn't something I really thought about. And then she looks at me again and goes, (laughs) and I notice your, your teeth have lots of little chips in them. So together, I think both of these things could be making your teeth appear not in alignment. And honestly, my jaw dropped. I felt really embarrassed in that moment. And I I just didn't, I didn't know what to say. What do you say to that? I felt, yeah, just kind of ashamed, awkward. ugly. And we never, ever want a client or a patient leaving our place of business feeling worse than how they came in. And you have to understand if you offer cosmetic services, 
this is a vulnerable arena. The people who come in to see you likely already have some little or big insecurities and feel vulnerable about certain things. I know my nose isn't a model nose, but it wasn't a feature that kept me up at night. And I left kind of feeling that way, to be honest, feeling like, do I need plastic surgery? So here's the challenge. When you are in a consultation, this is where things can get tricky. You as the professional need to be really clear and you need to set the expectation about what is or isn't reasonable with a treatment. That is totally valid, but there is a way of doing it that shows your bedside manner. And this is the perfect example where I think this professional had a ton of schooling. She's super smart, but it kind of just comes down to having some As we say in my house, my boyfriend and I call it having some feel, just generally being aware of people and their feelings and how something you say might affect them. And it's just such a, it's such a shame because you can say one thing and you can be so well-meaning with it. And I think this orthodontist had absolutely no negative intention. She wasn't trying to make me feel bad. She was not a bully, but it just left me feeling so bad. And these are things that can stick with you for life. Like if you ever heard somebody on the playground when you were younger, call out something about you or your body, something negative. Those are the things that really stick with people. And we don't want to play any part in creating a negative self-image for somebody or calling out something that the client didn't call out already. So I want to share something that I do in my consultations that I think can be a workaround for these kinds of things because I understand the orthodontist was trying to trying to highlight some real features, some real asymmetries that would get in the way of what I envisioned the perfect result. So what I do in these kinds of situations, in my consultations, we are obviously talking about very vulnerable things like somebody's skin, somebody's acne, pigmentation, possibly scars, things that feel very vulnerable for people. So what I do is I pull up the photos and I tell my client, We are going to look at these photos together. I want to collaborate and I want to to hear what you see so that I can do the best possible job at treating what you see and what bothers you. I never want to point something out first that the client doesn't notice exists. I don't want to create new insecurities for them. There are definitely nuances here, and there are certain instances. Say, for example, this is a situation where it's not always what the client wants is best. So say a client wants to treat their PIE, their post-inflammatory erythema, aka any redness or trauma that surrounds an acne breakout. 
I was always taught in school, it's only what the client wants. That's what matters. This is one instance where I need to weigh in with my professional opinion and let them know that you really have to manage their breakouts first before we go after the pigment. Otherwise, it's a little bit of a vicious cycle. But as you can tell from this example, there is a big difference between pointing out permanent features that somebody likely cannot change without surgery and highlighting something that might be important to your treatment plan. You still want to do it super delicately and you shouldn't be saying something that's like super surprising information. Like it shouldn't be a left turn. Like pointing out my nose to me felt like a left turn from our conversation and it really caught me off guard and kind of made me feel insecure and defensive. And I just wanted to get out of there as fast as possible, but I couldn't. And I've already paid for the treatment. So I, yeah, I just, yeah, um, it kind of is what it is, but definitely left feeling like I could cry and we don't want that. So What I like to do also in these situations where I need to address something and a way I go about it very delicately is using a compliment sandwich. So this makes the conversation more approachable overall. It doesn't feel like so much of an attack. And if you've ever been in like a dentist chair or seen an esthetician who was doing a skin analysis and, you know, is looking at your face and all of a sudden says, you have these black things on your nose, like you have all of this acne or you have all these wrinkles, that is going to make somebody feel absolutely horrible. What you could do instead is use a compliment sandwich and say, your texture is looking absolutely phenomenal the quality of your skin looks supreme. It looks so good. One thing I am noticing, and tell me if you agree, I'm looking at this one small section of your face that nobody else is noticing. I'm noticing because I'm the professional. I'm zooming in on your face, and I'm really trying to narrow in on your concerns. I do see this little area of congestion right here, and this is not something that's permanent. It's something that is totally treatable. What I want to do is ensure we are using salicylic acid to really dissolve this blackhead congestion because these blackheads are basically future acne and we don't want them to have the chance to develop. We want to catch them in our infancy and interrupt the process. That way we can really make you happy with your overall concerns around pigmentation and post-inflammatory erythema by really nipping these breakouts in the bud because if we allow them to continue, unfortunately, what we might see down the line is this cycle of pigmentation recurring. So we might make some progress with the redness, but if the breakouts keep occurring, that erythema, that redness, and that pigmentation that doesn't make you so happy might continue. What do you think about introducing this type of product in your evening routine, we would start working the product in slowly and eventually have you using it every night so that 
we are better managing the acne and stopping it in its tracks so it doesn't even have a chance to make some of that pesky pigment. What do you think about that? Or what I would do when I pull up the photos is ask the client, tell me what you see and ask them if there was anything you could change or improve about your skin. Great line. I've learned from Jan Marini. Uh, what would those concerns be? If they share one concern, ask, is there anything else you would change or improve? Maybe she'll say, yeah, the blackheads actually really bother me. Great. She said it, so you don't have to say it. That makes it a safer conversation to approach. And then you can end with another compliment. You're doing such an awesome job with your routine, with wearing your sunscreen every day. I know you have been making strides to change your pillowcase, to consume less dairy, and those things are really paying off. So I want you to know I noticed that. Okay, good way to have the conversation. You can still set the expectation and you absolutely should. You need to set the expectation so that nobody leaves feeling unhappy and the last thing you want is to mislead somebody so that when the treatment is over, they're feeling like, I didn't really get what I came for. I didn't get the result I wanted. The orthodontist I saw, I think, could have could have set the expectation in a different way. I don't think she really had to <laughs> say something that would make me feel like I needed facial reconstructive surgery. There could have been a way to bring it up, possibly saying, you know, I, I understand you want your top and bottom teeth aligned. What I notice as the professional is that surgery might be needed and to achieve that kind of result. I don't know if it's going to be worthwhile for such a small detail that a lot of other people might not notice. It just, it might be an unrealistic result for the treatments we offer here, but I want to make sure we do what we can to make you happy. And that was the other thing at, at the end of that conversation, she kind of asked, so is that okay? Are you happy? And it was like, no, I'm not happy. I feel like I, I need to go take care of my nose. My teeth are chipped. So that's an example of, in my opinion, really great expertise and somebody knowing what they're doing, but not the best bedside manner. Okay, example number two, <laughs> I got a facial recently, and this facial was very good. I really liked the overall outcome, but it just wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't great, and, and it was really good, but I think there is a difference between having a good experience and feeling like, oh my gosh, that was incredible. I'm whipping out my phone. I'm texting all of my best friends that we need to come back here because it was just above above my standard. That's what we want to strive for. That's what makes people want to share on social media and tell all of their besties. So let's talk about this facial. A couple of things. I noticed I noticed something that is kind of a pet peeve for me and that is when people ask a question 
and you give an answer and then there's no follow-up. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about, but they just have no response. It's silent. (laughs) That makes me feel really weird, to be honest. It makes me kind of feel like either the person wasn't listening, they didn't care, Or I said something that was so dumb, it didn't even warrant a response. So we want to remember this in the context of talking with our clients. It goes back to one of those first points I highlighted, which is that you want to show you are listening. You want to be actively listening. You want there to be no doubt in your client's mind that you are listening. And when I'm having a conversation with somebody and they are looking away or looking at their phone or (laughs) they pick something up and they're fidgeting with it, it makes me feel like they're not listening. They would rather be anywhere else. And what I'm saying is not important. We also want to validate our clients' concerns and we want to listen not just so that they feel heard. We want to listen so that we can provide the best possible treatment. Likely, if they are sharing something about their skin or their skin history, it is really, really important that we hear that and we acknowledge that and also for safety, we take mental note of that and we clarify to the client that we've really heard that. The second thing I noticed was also related to listening and there was really no consultation for this facial, which to me is just so important. I don't think we should be putting any product on the client's skin or touching their skin with any type of modality before we have had a good conversation with them and we at least understand at baseline what their skin is like, if they've had adverse reactions, if they have allergies. She did ask if I had allergies kind of midway through the facial, but you want to ask that stuff up front. And that also makes the client feel like you are taking extra measures for their safety and you care about the outcome of of the facial and their skin. So this esthetician had asked if I had any sensitivities. And I said, yes, I I have rosacea. My cheeks and my capillaries can definitely be sensitive. Cut to the SD doing cupping and hydrofacial, all kinds of suction on full blast on those areas, really without much of a conversation or explaining, you know, this treatment is going to include this and how do you feel about that or possibly kind of showing, I think this would be a a better way to go about it, showing somebody if you're going to be using suction what that pressure feels like because I've had hydrofacials before but they have all been a little bit different. I have had a facial, a hydrofacial trigger perioral dermatitis and a really intense rosacea flushing response. I don't think that is super common but if somebody's skin is kind of on the brink and they don't know it, and then you're going in with suction and exfoliation and a really intensive treatment, 
there's always the possibility it could go wrong. And so I kind of butted in, wasn't trying to micromanage. I wanted to let her do her thing. But since I have had that experience before, I wanted to speak up. And I think our clients should feel like they can interrupt and they can say something during the treatment if something doesn't feel good or if they have hesitations. So I did kind of interrupt and just said, oh, I just want to let you know my capillaries and my rosacea can be super sensitive on the cheeks. And to that, she replied, don't worry you're in good hands. It kind of felt like she was saying, don't speak up. Don't say anything. I got this. Don't undermine me, which is really not what I meant to do. I was just thinking, oh gosh, what if this ends up like the last thing? So the facial ended up being great. My skin, my skin felt great. I really liked the result. So it wasn't necessarily that, but it was just kind of a feeling of not being heard, not feeling like we had open communication, not feeling listened to, and feeling like if I said something, I didn't know if it mattered. And we really don't want our clients to feel like that. So also ensure if you are asking questions, you don't have to, but if you're asking questions, make sure if your client says something, you say something to acknowledge them. Don't just let the air go dead. We want people to feel heard. The last example I want to highlight is a positive example of bedside manner. So I'm currently working with a nutrition professional. I want to learn more as a health coach myself, and I'm currently working on gaining muscle and introducing more of a low histamine diet because I've had some intense histamine flares. It kind of can feel like an allergic reaction, watery eyes, um, overall heaviness in my body, just not feeling super good. So I have been working with a nutrition coach named Danielle, and we haven't been working together that long, but I really think somebody will know in the first appointment with you if you have a bedside manner that they jive with. And I feel like my nutrition coach absolutely shines with her bedside manner. I will link her information below because you want to share people's information when they are amazing to you and talk to you respectfully and treat you well and show that they care. That's really what it comes down to. So with Danielle, if I share something with her, such as, oh, I wanted to tell you I noticed when I had those tomatoes and that tomato sauce last week, I had a really intense histamine flare. And Danielle will always stop and acknowledge that. Even if I send her a long text message, we kind of send little check-ins. So if I say that, if I share something that's been a challenge, something that's been a little bit of a vulnerable experience for me, she will take the time and make sure she acknowledges and responds to that. And it doesn't have to be a situation where you 
you know, it doesn't have to be a big deal, but she will just say, I know those flares can feel so hard on your body. I'm so sorry you're experiencing that. Tomatoes, bananas, avocados, those foods definitely could trigger a histamine reaction if you are sensitive. So here are some alternatives. And I just feel like the way she communicates is so professional, so thoughtful, so compassionate, and it just makes me really like her. I don't think I'm super hard to hard to please, but you would be surprised how many people kind of miss those normal social cues. And we really want to be self-aware and we want to be aware of other people. Some things I love about Danielle, she's always cheering me on. She leaves the communication line open. So important, by the way. You don't want anyone to feel like if they get in a bind because of something related to what you're doing with treatment, say they have a problem with a product, the last thing you want is your client to suffer in silence not be able to reach you and then leave a negative review or go tell 10 of their friends, Tess gave me this product, it gave me hives, and it was a horrible experience. No, you want you want communication lines open. And that doesn't mean you have to be open 24-7. It doesn't mean that you are always reachable, that you give your clients your personal cell phone number. It means you set parameters in which you feel safe and the client can reach you should they need you. If I share something with Danielle, she remembers it. She keeps good notes and that makes me feel really seen and heard. Lastly, something she does that I try to do that's really, really key to bedside manners. If a client shares something vulnerable, say a client shares they've really been struggling with their breakouts, they haven't felt like they've made any progress. You want to take the time to connect first. Acne is an emotionally driven condition. So you want to acknowledge what they're saying and make them feel seen and heard. You want to, you don't need to make it an emotional event, but you want to be human with it and say something like, I know that can be really frustrating when you're not seeing the progress you want to see or when you have to feel uncomfortable in your own skin. That can really take a toll on the mental health. You want to acknowledge the emotional part and then provide the solution. If you just breeze past how your client is sharing they are feeling and just offer the solution, it kind of comes across like, I just want to give you an answer and get this off my plate as fast as possible, or I just want to sell you something. And we don't want that. The connection and the relationship we have with our clients is the most important of all. I hope you guys love this episode on Bedside Manners. Please let me know if you did or if you didn't on social media at my SD Tessa. I always love seeing you guys share the episodes. It really helps the show so much. And if it's not too much to ask, if you could leave me a short review, it can be one or two sentences on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just click 
five stars on Spotify. That's really all you have to do. And it goes a long way for the show and me making more episodes. I appreciate you guys so much. Love you. Thank you for listening. And I will talk to you next week. <laughs>